All right, everybody. Good to see you. We will not have Bible class next week. We will have divine service at this time on Thanksgiving morning at 9.30. Or we have Thanksgiving Eve service the evening before, Wednesday at 6.30. So take your pick. The children's choir sing in the Wednesday service. The senior choir sings on the Thursday service. You are also encouraged anytime school is in session. We have coffee break Bible study. We have the communion matins. And this morning we have the story of Gideon and the fleece. And I've got this fleece. It's in the chancel. So occasionally I do use object lessons. When they're biblical object lessons, you know. Uh, President Harrison, uh, at his presentation to the Board for National Mission, said, uh, I, I've got an object lesson. You know, so he pulled out this humongous Caravaggio painting with uh, the disciples and Thomas being guided by Jesus placing the finger into the side. And so it's his ambition to increase the, the number of great artworks in the International Center. The International Center, when it was first built and in these first couple of decades, just looked a little bit too much like a um, insurance, building? insurance building, yeah, an office building. So we now have in the chancel, in the chapel at the International Center, this beautiful copy of the Lucas Cranach um, altarpiece that's we saw and when we show you, when we do when Beth and I get this slideshow done, it's like the second coming. Though it tarry, wait for it. Anyway, the the uh, it's got the Luther preaching, baptizing, distributing the Lord's Supper, and hearing confession, the office of the keys, loosing and binding, all in that in that altarpiece. There's a version of that, copy of it, in the International Center above the altar. And then um, Thomas Kuchta, who was uh, the treasurer of the Synod for a lot of years and during some difficult financial times in the Synod, um, and had been for a time uh, kind of a benefactor for the CCA also, um, he died of cancer a year and a half ago or something like that, two years ago. And his widow donated a very large crucifix intended to be used in their home church who accepted it but then rejected it. Well, all things work for good. So it was given to the synod and it now hangs in the, in the chapel at the International Center. A beautiful cruise. So I think it's a much, given Tom's work as treasurer of the Synod, I think it's better there anyway. So, see, all things. Yes? Talking about great works of art, I, on Sunday we were talking about 
the body and the disposition of the body at death, whether to cremate or to not to cremate. And you mentioned um, how carefully Christ's body was taken from the cross and wrapped and entombed. And I was going to mention then that <clears throat> there are a number of medieval artists who painted the taking Christ down from the cross oh, yeah. and mm -hmm. wrapping, wrapping his body. And Michelangelo has that fantastic uh, sculpture of, of, of yes. it. Yeah. Yes, of the Pieta. Mm -hmm. um, but my, my point was how that seemed to be much more significant the closer the world was to the death of Christ. That, that, that that was so recognized and um, that artists would actually commemorate that. Yep. Petrina. Yes, I first have looked at the Shroud of Turin. The Shroud of Turin she's talking about. Um, well, artists took the impression of Jesus' face from that. That is a lot of times why we see him as we do now with the beard and everything. And he actually, there was a braid as the, on the Shroud of Turin. There was a braid down the back, like for the extra long hair. They used to do that. And I didn't know that. I have wanted a braid for the longest time. Uh, and Beth just, she wants the beard and the mustache, but she doesn't want the braid. <laughs> All right. Um, so then, then tomorrow is my mother's 94th birthday. She's not the oldest in the congregation. We've got quite a few. How old is your dad? 97. And his birthday is? March 30th. March 30th. And my stepmother in uh, Conemwalk is 102. So, Shorehaven. Uh, and then, of course, Marcy is like 210, I believe. <laughs> How old is Marcy? She's 90. 98. Yeah. And, and your dad is? 97 and a half. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So uh, we had uh, my mother's 70th birthday party in this room. And she was in treatment for cancer, and she had this wild red wig that she <laughs> wore at that time. And her brothers and sisters were here at the time. So. China. All right. Well, we use paper plates or napkins today. So let us... Uh, Pray Psalm 111, 1 Corinthians 12, 3 is the verse for the week. We'll pray the Psalm 111 responsively by half verse, and hymn 614 stanzas 1 through 4 is our hymn for the week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. And his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works. In giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, God of all grace, govern our hearts that we may never forget your blessings but steadfastly thank and praise you for all your goodness in this life, until with all your saints we praise you eternally in your heavenly kingdom. Amen. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What is the third article of the Creed? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth, and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers 
On the last day he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. O Holy Spirit, we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him. Call us to faith in Jesus by the gospel. Enlighten us every day with your gifts of baptism, absolution, and the Lord's Supper. And sanctify and keep us and the whole Christian church on earth with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Forgive us our sins every day and give us the blessed hope of the resurrection to eternal life. We commend to you Eric Kittemeyer, Isaac Alvarez, Reese de Puma, Haley de Puma, Angela Greshner, Bryce Ferguson, Mark Golterman, and Lori Rowe celebrating baptismal anniversaries this week that they might rejoice in the gift of salvation and be guarded and kept from the assaults of the evil one. Bless your servants, Deacon and Verla Gatchel, Timothy and Cheryl Fisher, celebrating wedding anniversaries this week that their marriages may be grounded in the faithful promise of love from our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We commend to you Jessica Franklin, John Franklin, Yvonne Ingram, Morgan Thoney, David Uttenreither, and all those who serve in the armed forces of our country. Give them fidelity in their work. Preserve them in harm's way from anything that would hurt them in body or in soul. We commend to you the many sick of our congregation and extended family, especially Ron Barrow, brother-in-law to Marty Bruss, undergoing testing, hospitalized in Oconomowoc. Dale Meyer, undergoing cardiac testing. Keith Kunkel, recovering from surgery. Gene Royce, recovering from brain surgery and also under treatment. Bob Zaretsky, recovering from pneumonia and a fall. Patty Rolthy in rehab. Amy Bruss, struggling with stroke-related mobility issues, Connor and Travis in their long road to recovery, Sue Everhart in hospice care with ovarian cancer, Reverend Luke Berenger, Michael, Reverend Dr. John Willie, Kathleen Hetzel, Dennis Michaelis, Kathy Miller and Gabby Hartwig, for whom we have been praying, all suffering with various cancers and in various stages of treatment. Bring healing according to your gracious will, above all in the long, arduous road of struggle physically, grant them your sustaining grace and peace. All this we ask through, your son, through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Father, one God, now and forever. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hymn 614, stanzas 1 through 4. To remit sin is to forgive sin. 
and to loose one from the punishments that we deserve by sin, to retain sin is to withhold forgiveness, which is done because of impenitence and unbelief. But even there, the retaining of sin is for the cause of bringing about repentance. As surely as I live, God said, I would not see sinner dead. I want him turn from error's ways, repentant, living endless days. And so our Lord Go forth and preach in every land. Bestow on all my pardoning grace, who will repent and mend their ways. All those whose sins ye thus remit, I truly pardon and acquit. And those whose sins you will retain, condemned and guilty shall remain. What you will bind, that bound shall be. What you will lose, that shall be free. To my dear church the keys I give, to open, close the gates of heaven. Wonderful catechetical text on the office of the keys. The words which absolution give are his who died that we might live. The minister whom Christ has sent is but his humble instrument. When ministers lay on their hands, absolved by Christ, the sinner stands. He who by grace the word believes, the purchase of his blood receives. All praise to you, O Christ, shall be for absolution full and free, in which you show your richest grace from false indulgence. Guard our race. And then the doxology. Praise God the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit, three in one, as was, is now, and so shall be, world without end, eternally. Are you, did, are, do you have this hymn in your Lutheran tradition in this country? It wasn't familiar Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the one of the catechism hymns, actually. Yeah. All right, good. Mark chapter five is the new material for today, but I I wanted to briefly review Jesus stilling of the storm. If what we talked about was confusing or bewildering to you last week, let me summarize in this way: in the Bible. And in the New Testament, in our Lord's ministry, we're given to see pictures in the life and ministry of Jesus that connect us with the Old Testament and that reinforce the idea, the confession, the belief. He is the Christ. So when he feeds the 5,000, he's on the mountain with multiplying the loaves and the fishes, we should remember how God fed the children of Israel in their wilderness wandering with manna from heaven. But the point there is, I am the bread of life. So we see those pictures. Last week, Jesus is in a boat with the disciples. They're on the Sea of Galilee. It's storm-tossed. He's asleep. 
They wake him in frantic fear. He stills the storm and says, how is it that you have so little faith? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, certainly he's the creator of all things. And by his divine power, he commands all things. But more than that, in the picture, we're taken back to themes from the Old Testament. Raging seas were always pictures of divine judgment. The flood, the Red Sea crossing, even Jonah, who had to be thrown into the, into the water so that it would be calm. But Jesus is greater than Noah, he's greater than Moses, and he's greater than Jonah. And he is plunged into the water of divine judgment, so to speak, at his baptism, which culminates in his death upon the cross. So Jonah was thrown into the water. He was asleep in the boat. They wake him, uh, call upon your gods. It's my fault. Throw me in. And that passive throwing of Jonah in is parallel to the passive obedience of Christ, that he willingly is plunged under divine judgment in his death upon the cross for us. He's in the boat. The boat has, since ancient times, for 2,000 years, been a picture of the church. The disciples are there. You and I are in the boat. Baptism has brought us into the boat. The call of the gospel this week has brought us into the boat. But like the disciples, we are often, you know, wailing at Jesus. Don't you care? We're perishing in our life and so forth. And he speaks the word, Silence, peace, be still, which is a word of absolution, not only for us, but for all of the creation that is affected by man's fall into sin. So my point last week was more than simply trust in Jesus and he'll take care of the storms of life. The stilling of the storm is about the worship of Jesus as creator, God and savior, redeemer from sin, who is plunged into the water of divine judgment for us and then by his word gives true peace. Peace of sins forgiven takes away guilt, the assaults of the evil one who's the accuser. Silence! Be still. Okay? So in that word there is absolution, full and free, like we have in the hymn for this week. So that was basically the lesson from last week. So if there was a lack of clarity there, uh, maybe that is somewhat helpful to you. All right, Mark chapter 5. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Now, uh, that area, for those of you who are interested in geography... The area, did I get you? No. Ah. <laughs> Here's the Sea of Galilee. The area of the Gadarenes is over here. Here's Gadara. Okay, so it's on, here's the Jordan River, so it'd be on the east side of the Jordan River. Okay. And uh, the ten cities of the Decapolis are, are over there, so it's kind of a remote uh, area. And a lot of non-Jews are there. Um, Remember in Matthew's Gospel, he called it Galilee of the Gentiles, of the nations. So there were plenty of Jews in Galilee, but there were also 
non-Jews, and Jesus, without partiality, preached and spoke to everyone. So he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Oh, 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 this way. So here's the Sea of Galilee, here is the Jordan River, and Gadara is here, okay? So that's, that's the area on that side. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's the disadvantage of this route. What I should have, and uh, Mike Ferguson said I could do it, but I'm just not... I just don't want to take the time to become technically savvy, but to put up on the, on the TV screen and then, you know, go through. But maybe you keep coming and hounding me, maybe I'll do that. You can do it on your 94th. You can do it. On my 94th. Okay, yeah. good. All right, so. To the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now here also, if you understand the, the, the boat is an image of the church, it's him going out of the boat. It's not, that, it's not that he's leaving the church, of course, but it certainly is a beautiful picture of mission work. You know, when we first send missionaries someplace, um, we hope to establish the church and to plant churches but it may just be the minister that goes, like the Apostle Paul with Barnabas on his first missionary journey. They left the boat there at Antioch in Syria, and then they went to the island of Cyprus. There was no Christian congregation on the island of Cyprus, but they went into the synagogues of the Jews there, and then they preached from the Old Testament. That's why showing you these Old Testament connections are so very important because that's what made the connection for those Jews. Hey, this Jesus from Nazareth, why should we believe he's the Christ? Look at how his life and ministry, the things that he did and the things that he said, parallel and reflect and fulfill the Old Testament. So they went to the synagogues and out of them then Christians were formed baptisms and congregations. Second missionary journey with Silas and, um, well, with Barnabas on the first, he also went to Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, and then the, the second missionary journey, he revisited those congregations that were established in Asia Minor, like Lystra, Iconium, uh, uh, Antioch and Pisidia, and so forth, all of those Places. And then the third missionary journey, he ended up being in um, Europe, in Macedonia and Greece and so forth. So this idea of uh, Jesus stepping out in the boat has a very strong missionary connotation to it. Okay? Kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan. Those two concepts, kingdom of God kingdom of Satan, when you juxtapose them next to each other, what is the fundamental characteristic of each? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan. 
There you go, Connie. Faith in Christ, the kingdom of God. Unbelief and rejection of Christ, the kingdom of Satan. That's correct. And with that unbelief comes an attack on God's word. He's a liar. He's not truthful and so forth. And the kingdom of God where faith is characteristic is also then the fruit of that is self-giving, outward-looking love. As opposed to the kingdom of the evil one, the kingdom of Satan, unbelief, it's inward. It's only about self. The, big, the, the holy trinity, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. But it, it's introverted. Now, this is something that's um, American... evangelical-type Christians, and then it bleeds into Lutherans, and they shouldn't be thinking this way at all, don't understand, and that is the reality of the dual nature of the Christian as being saint and sinner, believer and unbeliever. So the sinful flesh is, an, is unbelieving by nature has no natural fear of God, love for God, trust for God, that sounds like the kingdom of Satan. Well, the old Adam, the sinful flesh, is an ally with the evil one. And the evil one works on our will, trying to drag us into the fleshly desires of self-centeredness that reject God in unbelief. Whereas the Spirit of God is drawing our will to the truths of the gospel. So in Galatians, St. Paul says, the Spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh against the Spirit. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And so I submit to you, you don't have to raise your hand, but my... my hunch is that what troubles you the most as a Christian is that you want to be a Christian, you want to faithfully love God and others, but you feel this sinful nature and you don't always do what you desire to do as a Christian, and it troubles your conscience. And then it causes you to doubt whether or not you actually are a Christian because you feel the hypocrisy of your life. You know, so I won't ask you to raise your hand. You know, how many of you feel like hypocrites as Christians? But if you feel that and you have the sense of a troubled conscience or a bad conscience, that is the reality of this dual nature and this tug of war. And of course, Satan the accuser, that's what the name means, accuser. He wants to draw you miserable. You call yourself a Christian before. I know it's in your heart. Okay. Now, this is all then background for this business on demonic affliction here. Mark? Back to the hymn, hence the ongoing need for absolution. Very good. I'm glad you brought that out because we retain the absolution not primarily for comfort, although it does give comfort, but not always. Um, 
The absolution, though, strengthens faith. The gospel is that which creates and strengthens faith. The heart of the gospel, good news, is the forgiveness of sins. That's why it's in the smack dab in the center of the third article of the creed. I can't believe, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. Called me to what? Called me to faith. Okay? And then enlightened me with his gifts, the gifts of baptism and absolution in the Lord's Supper, the heart of which is the forgiveness of sins. To the, that enlightenment for faith. Okay. So when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So, demonic oppression. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, which is a place of the dead. And no one could bind him, not even with chains. Now, I want you to see the image here. This guy who was afflicted with an unclean spirit, he was a real man. He was really demonically oppressed, and he really did wander around among the tombs. And the phenomenon of him not being able to be controlled, not being able to be bound, was real. But those phenomenon that we see in this man are the characteristic of hardness of heart, sinful rebellion, satanic oppression. Have you ever wondered, this person, my loved one, who seems to have, rejects the faith, you can't even reason with them. It is as if they are possessed. Okay? And we don't have to go to the question, you know, is Polly possessed by a demon or not? <laughs> because it's, it's, it's rather unimportant as long as we understand what the devil does, what his kingdom is about. Where the devil's kingdom is in sway, there's not only unbelief, as if it's just sort of a benign unbelief, but we see it so often where that unbelief is a malevolent unbelief, characterized by destructive, irrational, self-centered actions and words and thoughts. Okay? So this guy looks like a picture of humanity, sinful humanity, separated from God, under the dominion and power of the evil one. We use this expression a lot. You know, Christ has redeemed us from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. Sin is powerful. That's why we protect our children when they're young. They'll partake of sin soon enough. They're already conceived and born in sin. But if we allow them to be exposed to everything that is evil and of the devil and damaging to them, we shouldn't be surprised if you know, they become completely afflicted by the evils of this age. I want to protect them. I'm not going to give them drugs. I'm not going to expose them to things on television and in the movies and in the marketplace that are anti-Christian and antithetical to what we believe. Oh, we've got to let them experience and choose from themselves. That is a lie of the evil one. Renounce it. Okay? Turn off the damn television. 
read to your children good literature, and especially the Bible. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Unclean spirit, that no one could bind with chains. Four, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. He is the quintessential picture of fallen man in bondage to the evil one. And that's what I want you to see. Again, it doesn't, doesn't mean he's not a real person. He is. But we see in him the lengths to which demonic oppression can take all of humanity. And always, night and day, he was in... Oh, let me pause here then to say... So Hamas, as a terrorist organization, abducting innocent children and families and butchering them, do you think that's of the devil? <laughs> yes, it is. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, and cutting himself with stones. That's another phenomenon I've seen when the devil ensnares Christians so that they may not have lost their faith, but they're so tormented and afflicted by the evil one that they can do things that are self-harming. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Now, I'm going to comment about that in just a second, but let's hear the rest of it, because you can say, how can this be? And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. For he, Jesus, said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Okay. So he comes to Jesus and it says that he worshipped him. What do you make of that? The devil knows who Jesus is? That is true. The demons know who he is. Susan? Worship isn't about a feeling so much as speaking the truth and saying this is who you are and you have the power to do it. This is who you are and you have the power to do these things. Okay. Petrina? Um, so I want you to sit with this just for a few minutes. The, the, the Bible does say every knee shall bow and every tongue shall, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, Jesus Christus Kyrios, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is true. Mark. I wasn't going to go here, but it just, back to our psalm, maybe I'm just throwing this out. Yeah. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, the Apostle James says the devils believe 
and tremble. I have drawn this to Go ahead. Just a possibility that he really was a believer at one time. And this is his believing self, worshiping. Well, um, in terms of the man, yeah. yeah. Um, as a pastor for, what is it, 36 years, I guess, the cry of despair is not something I'm unfamiliar with. A cry of despair from a person who, while despairing, still nonetheless believes. Like the disciples in the boat last week. Lord, don't you care? We are perishing. Was it that they had absolutely no faith in him at all, that they had renounced the faith? No, but you certainly see the warfare there. Right, so it's uh, no atheists in foxholes. Yeah, no atheists in foxholes. I've drawn this to your attention before, and it's germane here. The number of people during Jesus' ministry, most notably the chief priests, the elders of the people, the scribes and Pharisees, who knew that he performed the miracles that he performed and that they weren't magic tricks, they weren't phony. They knew he did it, but still they did not believe. Okay? So, whether this man has any modicum of faith in him or not, or whether he is simply possessed by a demon and entirely in Satan's kingdom. It matters not in terms of what he needs, namely deliverance from Christ, from demonic oppression. Okay? The devils do know who Christ is better than we do. There is no doubt But the same kind of twisted, irrational rejection of Jesus among the chief priests, elders of the people who knew he performed those things comes from Satan, who is perennially in this disposition of knowing who God is, knowing who Christ is, and still rejecting him. To me, that is supernatural insanity. But I say it that way because that's what unbelief leads us into, a supernatural insanity. You know, in our time in Europe, in our time in Berlin, to contemplate again what the Nazis, and then after that, Stalin's regime did to people. It is supernatural, diabolical insanity. Evil, just grotesque evil. All right. What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And of course, I have nothing to do with you. But Jesus is going to have something to do with him. So Jesus had said, come out of him, come out of the man, unclean spirit, Then he, that is Jesus, asked him, what is your name? 
and he answers. So the man is answering, but what is, it's, it's the demons within him. My name is Legion, for we are many. So countless demons were afflicting him. Legion. Normally, a legion is how many? Do you know? 500 in a legion. Or a thousand. 6,000. Okay, so you're talking countless. Yes. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. Now swine, since it's in Gadara, the region of the Gadarenes, we know that this is a highly un-Jewish area because the Jews don't raise pigs. They're unclean animals, okay? It's sheep. So a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, and all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Okay. Jesus gave them permission. Is there any other time in the Bible when you can recall the Lord giving permission to Satan or demons to do something? Verla? Job. Yeah, they... The only reason John Bruss trusts in you, they came the counsel of Satan before the Lord, is because you've set a hedge around him. He's, he's wealthy, he has many flocks and herds. Uh, nothing is wrong in his life. And that's why he believes in you. But you take all that away and he will curse you to his face. That's what Satan said to John. I'm sorry, not John. Job. Job. Yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> and, and is it, isn't it strange? The Lord gives Satan permission to afflict Job. Now you might say, that sounds like supernatural insanity. <laughs> what the devil does, the devil does always to what? Go back to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Destroy faith. Destroy faith. What God does, even and always, at all times, even those things that we don't understand, He does or allows or grants permission to for the sake of what? Faith. faith. Okay? So, in any event, there are two wills at work. Satan's will to destroy, to destroy faith to rob people of the confidence of Christ, and God's will to draw us closer to Christ and reliance upon Him. 
Okay? And since God created the faith in the first place by his word and spirit, he knows what Job can endure. Okay? So he gave permission to Satan to do that. You may, you may hurt him, but do not take away his life. And then you may hurt his person, and he was allowed to be made sick the second go-around, but don't take his life. So by then, Job had lost everything. Wealth, property, and then health, the honor of his wife, and that of his friends. Let's go comfort him. Man, you're suffering. You must really be a bad Christian, Polly, to be suffering that way. That's what the friends of Job said to him. So this permission of the Lord, I've used this before, but it's, only, it's like only Deacon and I appreciate it, Star Trek references. Uh, when, when the Borg, Satan is like the Borg, this alien that, that takes over, like the demons do, you know, all of these beings and assimilates them into the, into the collective. And then they are mindless and they're all part of the collective and they're governed by the Borg. And yeah, resistance is futile. And uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard says, no further. And that's what, that's what God does in his permission. You may go so far, but no further. And what the Lord allows or grants permission to the evil one to do doesn't mean that he's the author of evil. But it does mean that he will use whatever Satan does for his own good purposes and for the cause of faith. And that ought to be of great comfort to you. So if you're afflicted in your life, hardships, difficulties, loss of job, sickness, cancer, heart disease, this, that, or the other thing that has come into your life, what does St. Paul say? His way of speaking here is, God works in all things for our good. And the ultimate good is our salvation and the preservation of faith in Christ. God works in all things for our good, to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay? And sometimes this means for, for us in our own lives, when... when um, we have succumbed to weaknesses and uh, yielded to our sinful flesh and the devil's draw. Sometimes it's necessary for us to fall flat on our face, so to speak. For us to suffer the consequences of falling prey to satanic oppression in order to resurrect faith and restore us and reclaim us. And it's a scary thing, but uh, there are those who have lost it all, but in the end have retained their salvation. And uh, that's the ultimate good that St. Paul was speaking about there. Savannah had her hand up first. Um, the, the swine drowned in the sea, it's a reference to baptism, probably? Well, what did we say about the sea in terms of, you know, drowning and divine judgment and so forth. Right. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
this asking permission of Christ reinforces that they know who he is. They know who he is. He's still King of kings and Lord of lords. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Mark? And again, the contrast between the demons and the disciples, who back in, at the end of chapter 4, they were saying, well, who is this that even the women to see obey him? But here's the, here's the demon saying, well, we, we, we need a flea bargain here. <laughs> there is a strong uh, uh, theme throughout all of Mark's gospel about the power of the word of Christ over sickness, Satan, unbelief. So how is, what happened to the spirits? The swine drowned, but the, what about the spirits? Well, they roam the earth still. Well, why weren't they eradicated in the swine? Well, because they're spirits that don't drown. Well, he didn't. Just like I said, for his, own, for his own purposes, that God's will... See, this is the theology of the cross. God accomplishes his greatest good in the midst of suffering. And when human reason is contradicted. So, in order to make alive, eternally alive, he puts to death his son. In order to raise us to the heights of heaven, he brings us down to the pit of hell. Okay. But this is part of a great tribulation when you look at it that... It is. You know, that the devil is allowed to roam, but not at his full power. Back in Genesis, he said, right. I'm bruise your head. If yep. you kill him, he could have. But he allows him during this time of the great tribulation is that the devil has that power. If the devil was at full power here, none of us would be able to survive. So remember, in the kingdom of, of God, we are called to walk by faith and not by sight, ultimately. All right. So those, now verse 14, the reaction. Isn't this, again, counterintuitive? Those who fed the swine fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And you would expect, hallelujah! Yeah. And they went out to see what, was that, uh, what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. If you don't think that we are all in bondage to sin unless the Lord enlightens us through the gospel to faith, just look at this. It should have been something that is celebrated. They're afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. So they told him about the interchange. Jesus giving permission to go into the swine, the swine running down the hill, drowning in the sea. Now the man is clothed, cleaned up in his right mind. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. Okay, so Polly, can you 
articulate the expression on your face. <laughs> I'm still back with Savannah's question. I don't understand how the swine jumping into the sea there is baptism. Again, water, sea, drowning. So it's the, the drowning is always of judgment, of condemnation, okay? So are the, are the demons under God's judgment? Yes. Are they under God's condemnation? Yes. Were those who were drowned in the flood under God's condemnation, yes. under God's judgment? But eight souls were saved through water, Noah and his family. Corresponding to this, Baptism now saves you, not the removal of the filth of the flesh. This is why, so this drowning and being resurrected is a baptismal theme. Now, the demons aren't resurrected, of course, but the water is a water of divine judgment. Like in the flood prayer, Well, okay, what does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. That's drowning. That's judgment. Why? Because it, it joins us to Christ's death, which is the crushing of Satan's head, okay, it is redemption from sin. It's all of that. So in the death of Jesus, we see the victory over sin, death, and the power of Satan. And in the water of baptism, we are plunged into his death and raised by his resurrection as we come out of the water. But none of that happened to us. No, well, again, baptism is for us but it is a, a salvation from sin, death, and the power of the devil. That's why at the baptismal liturgy, do you renounce the devil and all his wicked works and all his wicked ways? Yes, I renounce him. Yes, I renounce them. Okay. So baptism is both dying and rising. It's death and resurrection. Because the cross of Christ, his death, is condemnation of sin, punishment for sin. It is judgment against the evil one whose power is vanquished by Jesus' death. And baptism unites us to that victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil. And it's death to our old Adam and its resurrection and new life for the new Adam. So, now, if your question is, are the swine being baptized? The answer is absolutely not. Okay? Or are the demons being baptized? No. But Savannah, she's seeing Satan plunged into the sea. Is there a baptismal connection? Absolutely, because... Sin, death, and Satan are under judgment, and the point of contact for us in that is our baptism. Okay. okay.
Okay. Uh, so, did did you have a question? I was too late. Just to make a no. comment on Romans eight being a, the whole chapter being a really good thing to read when you're in desperate moments of life, <laughs> because it talks about nothing separating us, separating us from the love of God, and it talks about other things that are related to that. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, back to the uh, to your question about the the demons and the water and so forth. And, um, as you know, I I use object lessons a lot in preaching. Right. <laughs> I say that facetiously, but I like President Harrison with the Caravaggio painting calling that an object lesson, but I used it this morning with this big fleece. But to see that and to use that in talking about Gideon, I talked about baptism this morning. I had to because Gideon was a man of trembling, weak faith. Okay? The judges were almost all like that. It's only Deborah that comes out, the one female judge, resolutely. But what did he ask for? The Lord strengthened Gideon to go into battle in the same way the Lord strengthens us. Through word and sign. Word and sign. And Luther in the large catechism and the Lutheran dogmaticians talk about the word, the promises of the gospel that he makes to us, which are attached to signs, namely the water of baptism and the bread and wine of the supper. So the word and the signs are intended to strengthen faith, vivify faith. So in the case of the fleece, Two times it's used. Water on the fleece, dry on the ground, and Savannah, he wrings out the fleece into a bowl. Ready for, cool ready for baptism, huh? And then, please don't be angry. Let me ask one more time. Let it be dry on the fleece and then wet on the ground. And the second time around, sure enough, it's dry on the fleece and it's wet on the ground. So I said, uh, uh, what is a fleece? Well, it's, a, it's the hide of a, of, a, of a lamb or a sheep with the white wool on it. Where do we have the idea expressed in the Bible about lambs and sheep? You know, Christ is the Lamb of God. And what happens to him? He enters into the water. So he gets wet at his baptism, right? And then John says, "Why you don't need to be baptized. I need to be baptized by you. I'm the sinner. You don't need to be baptized. Permit it to fulfill all righteousness. He goes into the water, and then John is like, oh my goodness gracious, balls of fire. <laughs> and begins to say, behold, the swine of God who takes away the sin of the world. No, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the Lamb of God goes into the water and gets wet. After which we who are made of the dust of the ground go into the water and we get wet. But with the righteousness of Christ. So in this word and sign for Gideon, it foreshadows the blessed exchange. That our sin is laid upon Christ in his baptism, and in our baptism, his righteousness is laid upon us. So you think about Gideon, he knew he had the assurance of the Lord's righteousness and protection to go into battle. See, this is where Luther says the entire Bible is about Christ. So the reason I mention object lessons is let us use the object lessons that the scriptures use, like the ship. Nobody that I'm aware of, at least in historic Christianity, liturgical, sacramental churches, objects to the notion of the image of a ship for the church. You don't find it in the Bible where it says the church is like a ship. You don't find that in the Bible, but you see it. Because where's the safety? In the ark. Where's the safety? In the boat with Jesus. He pulls Peter out of the water because he had looked away. He's beginning to drown. He must drown and die with all sins and evil desires and then be lifted up. That's in John 6. Okay, Matthew 15. So, it doesn't say this indicates baptism, but when you look at the epistles and what they say, do you not know as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Does that mean that you know, the next baptism I'm going to take some dirt and put it on top of the child in the grave to suffocate the child? No, because it happens in the waters of baptism. We're buried with Christ by baptism into death. Those are not my words. Those are St. Paul's words. Okay? So we need to keep going back to the scriptures and seeing these things. And uh, probably the greatest teacher of this that I'm uh, friends with is uh, Dr. Carl Fabritius. I mean, the things he knows the Bible inside and out. And um, so he sees Christ everywhere, which is what Luther uh, says we should see. Deacon and then Mark. Yeah, earlier you were talking about how sometimes everything is taken away that you latch on for eternity. Here, the swine or that's their money maker has taken away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, right. In favor of the, uh, the piggies and the revenue from there. Okay. However, Jesus did not permit him. Oh, oh sorry, verse 18. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them 
what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So here, as Jesus went to the land of the Gadarenes and brought salvation, the kingdom of God, to this man, now he leaves that man there as a missionary of the kingdom of God to spread the word to others. Lisa. Um, jumping back to the whole fleece thing, um, the referencing of ringing out the fleece, could that be a reference to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ when they are when they jab the side of Jesus and the water and blood come flowing out? Well, sh uh, surely the commodities of water and blood are the commodities of atonement that make atonement for sin. Yeah. And the, the usage of water at the temple to sanctify the sacrifices and the priests before the sacrifices were offered or the priests went into service and then the blood and water comes out of Jesus' side. And all of the church fathers talk about that as pointing to the, to the, to the benefits of holy baptism, the water of baptism, and the, and the blood of... That is the idea that um, by the hand of man, he was, he was destroyed in a form. Well, he didn't even look human at the end of it with that is, I don't know about you, but I've never been wrung out. The yeah, well, there, uh, yeah, he had no form or comeliness. Yeah, Mark? Still on, still on Gideon. The, the story of the fleece, is that I'm trying to recall, is that before or after the Lord reduces the size of his army? It's before that. It's before yeah, that. Tomorrow, tomorrow we reduce it down to 300. Great story. Yes. My second part of the question is, I know in the three-year election, I have a hard time recalling where that great story comes up on Sunday. Does it come up in the one year? No. Yeah. Now, it comes up in our Bible story lectionary in Lutheran catechesis, so... That's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I have class, so come to church next week for Thanksgiving. Come to church Sunday. A, a, a rare time, 24th Sunday after Trinity this week preaching on the uh, cleansing of the woman with the flow of blood and then the raising of the ruler of the synagogue's daughter um, who had died. So that's this coming Sunday. Oh, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Carol. Happy birthday to you.